Good morning and welcome back to another We Are Sunland morning briefing in partnership with the Fan Museum over at Sunland. Don't forget, um, we still have our launch offer on, so it's £1 for six months' worth of coverage. The place to be for everything red and white, tactical analysis, exclusive interviews and insight from plenty of Sunland experts. Joe, how are you doing? I'm not bad. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, all good. The the morning after the night before, um, Sunderland's draw with with Borough on the face of things, not a bad result. Uh, no, I think you'd have probably taken it. I think most would probably have taken a draw down there. We spoke about the record against Middlesbrough at the Riverside before the game, didn't we? Um, and it looked as though it was going. Mean, well, you can say that it has continued because they obviously haven't gone there and won. But with ten minutes to go, it looked as though it was going to be another defeat, another game at the Riverside without scoring as well um, after what was a pretty alarming second half but no they ended up coming away with what I think most would say would be a decent point and a striker scoring again yeah just on that it, there's been plenty of games hasn't there where you know you, you're going in the final 10 minutes Hull the other week perfect example where you're going in with a goal down and they just didn't really look like scoring it would have been harsh had they not Michael Carrick came out afterwards and said it was a bit of a sucker punch. He doesn't know how his side lost the game. But if I just pull up some of the stats from that, I mean, <clears throat> there was it, it was a pretty even game, particularly first half. Borough 15 shots, um, Sunderland 13 shots. Borough only had two shots on target. Sunderland had five throughout the course of the 90 minutes. So it, it, I'm not quite sure I buy into um, Carrick's rhetoric after the game. I mean... From a winning position, I can understand his disappointment to, to lose the three points. But I thought in the first half performance, as you say, second half, it was that period of 30 minutes in the second half where just Sunderland just... It was like they were was, was still in the dressing room and Borough just upped the ante. I don't know whether that plays into Borough being poor first half, but first half in particular, I thought Sunderland were actually really good. I thought Abdullah Bar on the right-hand side got in plenty of space down there. Jack Clark was a little bit quiet, but when they did get the ball to him, he had the beating of Luke Aylin. Yeah, I think all, all afternoon and you saw that in the final 10 minutes. That's sort of what swung the tide in, in Sunderland's favour. Just on that as well, and another thing that there was the substitutes as well. Um, I think there's been a bit of, you know, talk online about Michael Beale's reluctance to make a substitution. It, it's it's a tough one, that, isn't it? Because I think in part, the substitutes that he did made cha helped change the game. But in part, it was also... Borough substitutions also helped change the game because when they took Dan Barlasser off, they seemed to just lose a bit of control in, in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, I think both, most of what you said there is, is, is spot on. I think the first half, something for me probably just about shaded it. Um, yeah. Mills were probably more threatening, but obviously Sunderland had the chance with Abdullah Bar, you know, that was guilt-edged, that, that one that was cleared off the line by Vandenberg, you know, you can't you can't miss chances like that. You really can't. And you wondered then whether that would come back and bite them. It did, but the second half was just from the gate. It was it was sloppy. Now, obviously, Middlesbrough stepped up their intensity, and, and they were much better. They were much improved in, in the second half. And you could kind of feel it coming for Sunderland. It, it did feel as though they were kind of sleepwalking towards conceding. And you're wondering whether Michael Bale could be proactive or reactive, yeah. and then it ended up being reactive. You know, from the free kick. Now, there was a bit of fortune how it came because. Yeah. I'd argue that it probably wasn't a free kick in the first place. Um, and then obviously the strike from Greenwood falls kindly. Well, I say falls kindly to force, but he does so, so well to, to yeah. take the touch and the finish. It is a really, really good goal. And from that point, you really were in because it's it's a bit of an onslaught and, and you're just thinking kind of, here we go again from a Sunderland point of yeah. view. Um, 
Then there was a stoppage in play kind of about 15 minutes ago. I think Greenwood and Force both kind of down. And that helped Sunderland. It helped sort of mm. break up Middlesbrough's momentum a little bit. And the changes yeah. had obviously come at that point as well. And that just stemmed the tide a bit. And then Sunderland got <clears> on the front foot and they were a bit more effective on the counter-attack with Jack Clark, who I thought was excellent throughout. Yeah. You know, you said it there. He kind of had the beating of Ale and all afternoon. And you saw that early on as well. And Leo Helder, who I'm sure will come on to, he contributed to that certainly in the first half mm. by just given a bit of balance and given a bit of an overlap in the first half. The second half, he was a bit more retreated, which, you know, Sunderland as a whole sat back a bit more. They were put under more pressure. Um, so, yeah, they, they get the goal and then you could almost argue they could go on and win it because the honest, yeah. it, it totally shifted. The pendulum has totally shifted in Sunderland's favour then. So, I think I can understand Middlesbrough and Michael Carrick's frustration in saying that it's one that got away. I think if it had been the other way around, Sunderland would probably have said the same. Mm. But I do think there's probably... On the balance of play across the the full ninety, I think there's enough to suggest that someone just about deserved a point. And yeah, I, th- I think they'll be reasonably happy coming back up the N19 with that point as well. Yeah, I think we should probably change the name of this podcast to like Jack Clark does it again or something, doesn't he? Because that that if if there was ever a player, ever, this is so obvious to say, but if there was ever a player someone needed to keep this January transfer window, it was Jack Clark. And I think that's only going to be emphasised again in the games to come. In the coming weeks, just how important he is, and it—it's not ridiculous to say that he's—he's he's really scarily in danger of outgrowing the championship. He—he's just been phenomenal this season, and he just keeps popping up time and time again with moments of magic. Like you see, players of his ilk, sometimes you can see them get frustrated when games aren't going their way, but he just doesn't stop. I mean. The last 10 minutes of the game, it was like someone had changed his batteries and he, he was just off again. He just got the yeah. be- the beating of Aylan time and time again. And it's it's all fair and well. He had a little bit of a, a blip, I think, over the over the festive period, like after the Newcastle game. But I tell you what, just again, just a fantastic performance from him. Yeah, he, I mean, he was he was excellent against Stoke, wasn't he? he? It was one of his best performances at the stadium <clears> for, for a while. And then we spoke about how he's kind of dropped against Middlesbrough before the game. You know, Isaiah Jones played a big part in that. Him being out, we get we wondered whether that would be an impact. And, you know, he, he just, he fancied it. You could tell that he fancied it up against yeah. Aylan from the off, he, straight off the bat. He, there was a couple of dribbles that went in the area. He nearly caught out Glover at the, at the front post mm-hmm. early on. Yeah. And then, yeah, in the second half, when Sunderland were under the cosh a bit, it, it kind of was him. You, you referred to there as changing his batteries. And it was, it was, it was him who sort of, just sort of grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and sort of said, come on, lads, what are we doing here? Yeah. And, he, and he started driving Sunderland up the field again. And then after the goal, I mean, the assist for the goal was, was yeah. excellent. Um, and another goal contribution for him. But then beyond that, the amount of times he was getting down to the byline and crossing it over where you just, you could see almost his frustration at that point, thinking, well, where is one of my teammates at? Because yeah. he put it into a couple of dangerous areas. There was one that I think it was Luke Thomas nearly turned into his own net as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you go back to the first half as well, I think the chance for Bar that came from him and, and Job, it kind of shows where he's maturing as well because mm. instinctively you would you're trying to just pop that shot off as soon as you can in the six yard yeah. box. He realised that the angle was tight. There was two players around on the keeper to beat. He took both all three of them out of the game, rolled it to Bar, and you're thinking, oh well, there's the opening goal, and somehow Bar wasn't able to turn it in. So mm. yeah, he, he's he's just he's in a place where. It, He's enjoying his football. He's, I genuinely believe he's enjoying it. Being here as well, he said that after the game yeah. as well, you know, how all the talk's just been background noise to him and he's just happy putting on a Sunderland shirt. And 
I think from a Sunderland, for Sunderland supporters, it's going to be a case of them just having to enjoy these last 16 games because it, it feels almost inevitable that he will move on in the summer. And the way that the season's gone, you know, he, he's, he, he's earned a move to try and test himself back yeah. in the Premier League. Now I know we've, we've spoken about the Newcastle game before and how we've probably underperformed in that game. And, you know, that'll, that'll happen when he, when he steps it up into the Premier League. He, he will have to probably kick on again. But he's he certainly off this season and probably what's going to continue because there's nothing to suggest that he's, he's going to drop off in form for a prolonged period as well. Might be a game or two here. But then he can just step it back on. And his durability as well is something else. Yeah. I mean, you think yeah, about yeah. He, he joined the club on loan two years ago and he's played over 100 games. That's it, probably not sport about enough either, is it? No, no, it's probably not. And he, he's, he's always available and he always has, well, nine times out of ten, he always has a level of performance. And, you know, that that is a, you don't want to say a rare breed, but it's it's a breed that, you know, it takes you to the Premier League, you know, if you keep yeah. on, on that path of consistency and that is what he's done and, and that it does feel as though that is what will happen. I think most are accepting of, that that will happen, whether it be with Sunderland, if they can get in the playoffs and go up or not. Um, probably the latter being the most likely at this stage. But yeah, another, another really, really good performance for him and it's a case of these last sort of 16 games. Just just enjoying him, I think, from, from Sunderland's perspective. Yeah, definitely, especially when he's getting clattered every week and to not, not pick yeah. up injuries just from, from that side alone. I mean, he wins Sunderland free, kicks up the pitch. Just on the first half, I thought, to be fair to Sunderland, I thought they actually the midfield three, I thought they were actually really good. There's been, you know, people will disagree. Second half, yeah, it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? I think first half, Sunderland actually had a really good control in that area and we didn't see the 4-2-4 that we've seen away from home. I know we spoke about that before the game and how they would set up. Michael Beale said actually went toe to toe, and that you know, Borough had that Azaz chance where um, Patson's come out to deny Greenwood, then Azaz has blazed it over the bar. But other than that, Sunderland had the better of the chances, I think, first half, especially with that bar miss. But it was notable how, just with Dan Neil holding and Equar and Job further ahead, just how easy they were able to find pockets of space and, and play through. It was, it was a strange setup from Borough because. We saw in the second half that they come out and pressed high when they were nearly forced passing into that that chance. But there was a stage in the first half where Luke O'Nine just gets the ball on the edge of his box and just runs through and carries it through the whole Borough team and plays it out wide to Clark. There were two or three chances like that where Sunderland just broke through a line far too easily and, and got the ball out wide. Now, I know obviously there's a lot of talk on strike as Mason Burstow. For what it's worth, I actually think, he, you know, People are saying he had a poor game. I actually think he did quite a lot of work off the ball. There was he had a different role. He wasn't as high. I noticed he was he was deeper than Sunderland's two wingers, stopping the ball going to the likes of Housen. So yeah, if if you look on the balance of play, you, you hasn't scored. Okay, does that warrant a, a poor performance? I don't think it was too bad. I thought the ball he played through for Bar when Bar was set through one on one and he hit the side net and that was a great through ball. I thought it was a, an industrious performance from him. Albeit, you know, I just don't think it was his day. Then when you replace him and bring Rusin on, then he scores the goal. That that's obviously going to make when you compare the two, one's got a goal, one hasn't. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I agree again. In the main, I think the midfield one's interesting because that seems to split debate a little bit. Mm. Um, it, it was noticeable. It was very noticeable. It was sort of a four-three-three, and, and they pressed quite high early on. Whether that was something that they picked up on in terms of you know, if you look back at Middlesbrough's game against yeah. Chelsea, for example, they they sort of played themselves into trouble. Quite yeah. a few times, so whether that is something that they tried to to do in the early stages, because it did look noticeable that them that the two lines of three 
were quite high and Eck were pushing out wide. And another thing as well, they were getting that when they were getting down the right, crosses into the box were more frequent. And it was as though yeah, that yeah, was definitely something that was really sort of instructed to get out your feet and get it in. Now Burstall was in and around there, but at the same time, he didn't quite make the that, that natural sort of killer instinct run for me. Yeah. And, and yeah. again, it's, it's the, the sort of say, the same thing that we've said all season is that there then wasn't enough bodies around him. Mm. So when, when Hume was, because Hume put a couple of really inviting yeah. crosses in, it was kind of, if it wasn't on Burstall's head, there was nobody then yeah. there, there to pick up the pieces. Um, one thing I would say about the midfield is though, it was a little bit, odd, just to con- contrast that is, it was a little bit worrying how easy Middlesbrough were able to play through it as well. You know, yeah. Sam, Green, Sam Greenwood was, had a lot to do with that in terms of his runs off the ball. I thought he was he was decent for Middlesbrough, really decent. You know, yeah. he, he caused some <clears throat> problems, just really intelligent runs in behind either Lugo Nine or Dan Ballard. And then it was either Azaz or Hackney who were trying to... It, it, it seems all time and time yeah. again, that ball was kind of just beating Sunderland's two, two-thirds. And it felt as though Greenwood would probably get on, latch onto one of them in the end. Mm. Whether you know there was a few times you flagged offside and something just struggled to deal with that a little bit, so that was a bit concerning because that's something that has you know they've been a bit passive throughout the season, really in midfield. Which is why, if we go back to last week in the transfer window, that sort of central defensive midfielder, that out and out central mm. defensive midfielder, is someone that we felt as though something needed, didn't we? So it's striking that balance, isn't it? Um, you know, mm. you can see Michael Bill shifted things around a little bit, and there are parts of it that. You can start to see fruits of labour shooting through, and yeah. you know, in and in and out of possession, but out of possession that way. But like what I've just touched on there, it would would be a concern. Um, but the energy certainly early on was quite encouraging, you know, because you touched on it before with the tactics going away from home. It's been a bit more to, to stifle teams, whereas it certainly mm. didn't feel like that it, in the opening stages down at Middlesbrough yesterday. It felt as though someone, you know, to Michael Peel's word, were were going down there to take the game to them. And I think, like I say, in the main, in the first half, Sunderland were probably just about the better team. Yeah, I mean, it's something that Michael Beale touched on as well. Um, you know, I think if if you look at it in the first half, when Sunderland were really good in possession, when you had Job and Equa either side as eights, they were drifting out to the to the wider, almost, and in the pockets of space there. But then, when they came, it's hard, because when they came under pressure, second half, Michael Beale said that Clark, was it Clark? I think it was Abdullah Bar was definitely one. There was two players that he felt weren't helping the side out enough defensively. Um, so, th- w- without looking at it closer, it's that that seems like an area that's that's swung the balance. I mean, the Borough's fullbacks certainly got into the game more yes. second half. Whether that acted as an overload and freed up players in the middle because Job and Equa were drifting out to deal with those runs while Bar and Clark were ahead of them, it's it's difficult to tell, but. Michael Beale certainly seemed to think that that was an area of the pitch where um, Sunderland fell short in the second half prior to you know the introduction of Rusin and um, <coughs> sorry of Rusin and uh, Roberts second half. Yeah, I agree. I think um, you know you could you mentioned the fullbacks there for Middlesbrough. They it, you could see that they'd been told to push on a little bit more than what we saw mm. in the first half. You know, Lucas Engel was more of a threat. I mentioned Tom Greenwood there. There was a ball yeah. he played through to Greenwood from right on the touchline, just in yeah. behind the defence, the Greenwood drag wide. And that was kind of what they were doing. They, they were trying to just really get at Sunderland. You could tell the character told to step the intensity up. And Sunderland couldn't deal with it. You know, the second half for me was like, well, for 30 minutes was poor. Mm. It, it was. It, it reminded me of a little bit of the game down at Portman Road. We were there and... Mm. 
it was it was similar game in many aspects. I thought Sunderland shaded the first half that night. Yeah, and yeah. They came out and, and they kind of a bit of both of Sunderland not being as at it in the first half, and then the opposition stepping it up, and they got caught out down there, you know. And and it was very similar yesterday, and it, until those changes, and I think from again from a Millsborough point of view, you probably think a lot might look at the substitutions that Carrick made, but I think some of them were enforced in terms of force being mm. down with, with, with cramp it looked like and Greenwood similar. So that it, it helped Sunderland and it just took the wind a little bit out of their sails. And then, like you say, with, with Roberts and Roosan coming on, that just added something different. I mean, Roosan straight away, he, he went and he, he went and challenged that Aylan right in the corner, didn't he? And yeah, just yeah. harried and hassled him. And that is something that Sunderland hadn't done all game, really, even with Burstow, because like you say, he was dropping deeper. He was trying to... Yeah. I mean, a turn it round rather of the wingers and just got a little bit lost. It never really and it never really stuck up there. From it was a difficult afternoon. From I, I understand what you're saying, and, and it had been an industrious performance off the ball. I think you know there's some stats that will support that as well. But sometimes fans will just want exactly yeah. what Rootsman brought in terms of in a game like that as well, just to go and almost stick it on a defender a little bit. And, and he did that within a couple of minutes, which you heard the raw goal from the end, didn't you? And that just yeah. things like that just just help kick momentum back a little bit in your favour and then obviously the goal came which that's what three three goals from strikers now in sort of five league games you know what crisis yeah, yeah what, what problem <laughs> just on that as well there's been an interesting point Rusin scored obviously two of those goals from off the left I believe when they were down at the under 21s uh, played Leeds in, in midweek and it's something that Michael Beale spoke about that Rusin likes to float off you know, he's, he's not just an out-and-out out number nine. He says he says he prefers to float in. He's probably better off the left. You know, let, let's be honest. I don't think you're going to see Rusin over Clark in that mm. area unless, you know, Clark gets injured. But that is food for thought, isn't it? Going into, you know, the, the latter half of the season. Because that, Sunderland at the minute have played with an out-and-out out out wingers, haven't they? Whereas... If they want to come slightly narrower, that affords, you know, Rusin can be that option if he likes playing in, in sort of in between the channels, then and that's some some food for thought for Michael Beale. Yeah, it could be. You know, if you go if you even if you go and attack a game in like a four two two or something like yeah, that, yeah. You know, he could sort of tuck inside a Clark, couldn't he? Um it just brings us around to the sort of conversation that we're gonna have every week about who's gonna start as that main striker now. <laughs> We'll probably go back on these shows and I'll contradict myself every week. I think more Sunderland fans are probably going to contradict themselves every week they go mm. to a game at the minute because if you naturally just want to stick with who scores or then you think, well, you know, we've advocated for, for either or to just get a run of games and consistency. I think with Rusin coming on, the, the funny thing about the goal was it was it was so unorthodox, wasn't it? What I would say is he, he did really well in pulling off the shoulder, you know, to, just to hold in that space. You know, all the player got sucked over on the left where Clark had drawn everyone in and Roosan cleverly just stood over on the right and opened up and it allowed him to take what was a poor touch, if we're being honest. It sort of bounced up and then you're thinking, oh, has the chance gone? And then he hit it. And I don't even think that the shot itself had that much conviction in it. You know, mm. it was it, it was a strange goal to, to beat Glover at the near post. Now, obviously, it was a mistake from him, but as a striker, you know, you, this part of you thinks, well, yeah, that's what you want to do, get it and just have a shot at goal yeah just you know, have a goal yeah you're not going to score if you don't have have a goal and you know what what is it they say don't buy tickets with the lottery and, and bruce and certainly did that yesterday and you could see that it buzzed about it, the buzz from after as well you know he went close with the header after that and he was mm. he was busy wasn't he and, and i think again going back to like what he did with Ireland down in the corner i think 
just that busy and that energy that that appeals to supporters. You know, sometimes with Burst stuff, he's not involved in it. That'll it'll look more like he's then having a poor game like we were talking about earlier. Mm. So it, it is, it's gonna be something that's just gonna rumble on now. Now does does Rusin go in against Plymouth? It, it's anyone's guess, isn't it? You know, for for what happens from here, or do you wait from to be an impact from the bench? What you would say is, and I think Michael Bill, you'll, you'll be able to uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. What you said after the game in terms of his family now being yeah yeah here, here with him, that undoubtedly is going to make allow him to settle more and, and be able to focus on on the field a little bit more, which Sunderland are arguably starting to see a little bit of now over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he said his family's now with him. I presume in the northeast because you said they're together. So, but just interestingly, on the point that you made there, yeah, it's hard to disagree, isn't it? Because people are crying out for continuity and and the need of a, a strike at the player. You know, we were saying Burstow should he be the man to start before that? We were saying Rusin, but it all comes back, doesn't it, to the level that these players are at? Because there's no clear player that is a standout, your main choice, number nine. That that that's the problem that Sunderland have had all year. It remains the problem after not bringing anybody in. So, yes, you're contradicting yourself slightly by changing the player who it is to start, but th- the underlying issue remains the same. Yeah, it does. I mean, one thing you would say though, and and you've got to give Michael Bill credit for this, is he is giving strikers more of a go. He he, yeah. he is he does seem to be giving them an opportunity rather than going automatically to a job or when fit a Bradley Dak or so, you know or Pritchard yeah. as that sort of 10 that false nine you know he, he does seem yeah. to be trying to steer towards actually putting one of the designated strikers in there so you've got to give him credit for that and like I said there's there's three of them scored there's been three goals scored now and yeah. I think it is five league games since New Year's Day so that is it, it is very slowly stepping in the right direction look at it I don't think anyone can and, and we're not trying to say that that's it, problem solved, because it isn't at all. But at least it is moving. The needle's moving in the direction that you wanted to move in and fr- from that area of the field. Um, and it, But I, I suspect it's just going to be the same sort of situation between now and the end of the season. You know, for all, Christian Speakman sort of told us last week that they're comfortable with the bodies that are in the building. I, I, you know, I don't think anyone's kind of pulling the wall over people's eyes in terms of, if that was an out and out, you know, if you if you had a Ross Stewart, for example, we'll go back to him. I know that it's arguably lazy to go back to that because it's been and gone. But if you had someone like him, it would probably be a hell of a lot different, you know, in terms of the output through the centre of the field. Just as as yeah. playing playing through the centre of the field as well, not even just in terms of goals. You know, we've seen we've done pieces where you can see so much of Sunderland's play goes down the flanks, most notably down Jack Clark's side. But just having somebody through the middle who can be that focal point and none of the three that are in the building now seem to be able to really do that. Rusin obviously has the runs in behind Burstow in and out a little bit. I haven't really seen enough of, of Hamia, so it's, it's it's going to rumble on till the end of the season. Yeah, we haven't really seen those uh, runs from the likes of Ross Stewart, you know, why he's played in behind. As you say, Rusin's done them, but they haven't found him. It's something that Michael Beale spoke about in his press conference after the game. Are we getting enough bodies in the box? Yeah, there was... Again, final 10 minutes. I mean, we've seen it so many times where there's a ball gone in and it's a yard or two behind a player where you're just crying out for someone like Ross Stewart. Obviously, that's not going to happen just to come in and, and finish it. Late runs from midfield. Again, you know, getting bodies in the box. I think, interestingly, a, a point that we'll finish on, and you brought it up nicely there, is 
Christian Speakman's comments just on, um, you know, Sunderland's current situation after the January transfer market. Now, I touched on it in the talking points after the game. Um, you can read them over, obviously, on We Are Sunderland. It was interesting, the the comments that, that he made, you know, heading into this week about, um, you know, we're happy with where we are, we're happy with the players that we've got in the building. Um, yeah, it, it, it just feels like something is still missing from 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 this week. Yeah, it does. And I think yesterday it kind of played out for both teams. It was, you could see that they're two teams that are fully probably just going to miss out yeah, it was because both felt as though there was just just something not there. I touched on that in the preview show when we spoke with Dom. It, it, I, of the strikers, obviously the go-to. You know, they 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 got rid of Morgan Rogers on the, on deadline day, but it, it just feels there's there's something just missing in terms of if you go back twelve months ago. Now actually, I know some kind of hit a little bit of a sticky patch around this sort of time twelve months ago, but. The, f- the feeling around the club was different and, and the wave of momentum carried them. And the inconsistency this season has been, it doesn't lead itself to suggest that they'll, they're going to go on a run to really get in because it looks as though there's going to be one spot up for grabs between six, seven, eight teams. That is going to be a difficult battle to, to, to come out on top. And if you don't go on a run of sort of three or four, even just three or four wins on the spin, it seems to be very stop start at the minute. So, Look, the, the striker situation is one that supporters are obviously going to look back on at the end of the season. I mean, you know, plenty of sort of voiced their opinions on it already, but the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the season. If if some don't get in the top six, that is going to be the immediate go-to in, in January. Why wasn't a striker brought in? Arguably then, why wasn't a central, central defensive midfielder brought in? You know, that they were the two areas that sort of people were really demanding to be addressed that, that weren't. Um, there were other areas, you know, we spoke about it, that did come in and, and signings that made sense. You know, Hjelda, we spoke about him a little bit earlier. I thought he did okay yesterday. Yeah. Uh, th- th- there was times where he was a little bit shaky defensively, but I think just the balance overall and certainly second half, you know, he, he was improved defensively as well and made a couple of key blocks. And I think in that, that sort of environment, I thought he did, did quite well so you could see why that signing makes sense um, mm. longer term in terms of what some do their philosophy of things but yeah that it, it still does feel as though the window left them short there's no doubt about that um it, it's just all about now whether michael Beale can continue getting something out of the strikers and then hopefully that turns like yesterday for example six weeks ago does that stay one nil possibly yeah um, yeah i would have thought that yeah so it's turning them defeats into draws and then maybe turning a couple of draws in, into wins down the stretch and then you just see how far it takes you. But it's so ultra-competitive this season in and around there that the teams that are, are battling for, like say, what feels as though it might only be just one spot for grabs. It looks... Mm. I know that West Brom, I think there's only sort of four points in it. I could be wrong, might be three, but it feels as though they might just have enough to sort of get in and sort of make that fifth position their own. So then you're looking at sixth between however many teams. So it's going to be a, a battle. There's going to be twists and turns. I'm, and I, look, I'm by no means ruling Sunderland out of it because that would be, be naive. It would be foolish to do that. It just, I don't know, there's something that at the moment feels as though that they just need some consistency before I can feel like I would put my hat on saying Sunderland will get in the playoffs at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, the game's coming up, Plymouth, Huddersfield, Birmingham, Swansea, yeah. all sides in the, in the bottom half of the table. And if 
as you know, Michael Beals touched on, I think Michael Dodds touched on it, your consistency. They didn't lose at Borough. So all of a sudden, if you win for let's say you take twelve points from from those games, all right, you know, I might be wishful thinking, but if you take twelve points from those games, you're looking back on oh. this borough result, and all of a sudden you yeah. think, Oh, what a great point that is. Complexion totally changes. But yeah, if, if you look at them fixtures well, if you look at those fixtures as well, the reverse fixtures, I think the Birmingham game is the only game that Sunderland took three points in, which mm. tells its own story. You know, so this run of fixtures, you I think you're absolutely right. It'll, it'll tell us a lot because it gets the tran- the transfer windows done, it's out the way, you've got the three players in, they're gonna settle. Kelder certainly looks as though he's gonna play a key role. And then it's about building on. You know, there's there's two games there now you can build on. I think, again, if you go back to the start of the conversation here this morning, four points from Stoke and Middlesbrough at home and away. I think majority would have, would have taken that. It's then about kicking on and and turning games in this run of games that they've got it into a decent haul of points if, you, if you're serious about getting into the, the, the top six. Yeah, from contenders to proving that they can get in there, that would be a good start. Thanks again for joining us. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. We've been We Are Sunland. We've been in partnership with the Sunland Farm Museum. Don't forget to head over to We Are Sunland and take advantage of our launch offer. Um, yeah, we'll catch you again on Wednesday.